And then finally, I'm going to talk about something that uh, is really the hottest topic that I know, and it is how to prevent fraud and ensure supply chain integrity in the spot market. That was the voice of transportation attorney Hank Seaton with the Seaton and Husk firm. Speaking as part of a presentation he gave at the National Association of Small Truck Companies annual conference a couple weeks back here in Nashville, Tennessee. Seaton's based here after previously practicing out of the Washington, D.C. area for many years. I'm Todd Dills, your host of this Overdrive Radio edition for November 4th, 2022, where we'll drop you into a conversation with Seaton that I had this week digging into the details of what he sees as a possible preventive fix to the issue of fraud. Namely, he addresses directly the crime of double brokering when misrepresentation is involved. It can involve carrier and broker identity theft, sure, but more insidious and perhaps more widespread is the presence of authorized carriers and brokerages set up seemingly for the purpose of simply double brokering loads to suck a small amount of money out of what would otherwise be an above-board transaction. The brokers in this scheme misrepresent themselves as carriers to gain access to pick up and delivery details, then broker the freight out to a real carrier for a lesser rate, pocketing the difference. More insidious than identity theft, I'd wager, because everybody gets paid. If the illegal presence of fraudulent middlemen ultimately leeches money out of the freight market, distorting freight market averages to an unknown end, the expense of those actually moving the freight. Seton's presentation at NASTIC was geared to stress some things the honest players in trucking can do to prevent this kind of thing from ever happening as he sees it. He calls it a fraud prevention and supply chain protocol that in some ways doubles down on previous practices that had gone by the wayside for a variety of reasons, most having to do with the speed at which spot market transactions have to occur these days and the rush to compete, to book, to deliver. You know, the old school way of doing transportation was the shipper and the carrier were friends. They knew one another. They depended upon each other. Uh, there weren't uh, 500 and some odd thousand carriers out here all on the internet competing for the lowest rates. Uh, somewhere along the line, we are now booking freight in the spot market with people we don't know that we really can't vet. And as a result of that, we're doing a lot of really stupid things. Stupid things in terms of not getting our name on the bill of lading. Stupid things like hiring people to haul 100 shipments when the FMCSA said he's only got one truck. And I'm gonna show you how this issue of, uh, of, of fraud and supply chain integrity is costing people big bucks how in particular it's affecting small carriers who uh, are unable to vet carriers in the spot market effectively. Think of it as re-emphasis of what Michigan-based broker John Asiala shared in an editorial detailing his own experience of a double brokered load that ultimately cost him when the real carrier didn't get paid. Asiala's message, get back to that old way as much as humanly possible in this day and age and take the time to know definitively who you're dealing with, whether broker or carrier. Find Asiala's editorial, OverdriveOnline.com, ran just yesterday, November 3rd. My talk with Hank Seaton addresses that and other procedures to stop these schemes before they ever get started. But before we get started, 
We'll also hear from Dominic Gonzalez of Antonio and Sons Trucking out of Fresno, California, who details some of his father's small fleet's history stretching back decades now. In a very sharp 2016 Pete 579, the team there showed out in Merced back in June, where I met Dominic. Catch a video detailing the rig at overdriveonline.com slash custom hyphen rigs this week. We'll drop in with Gonzalez on site this summer at the AJ Sosa Memorial Truck Show after this word from Overdrive Radio's sponsor. With winter fast approaching, it's time to prepare yourself for the conditions that lie ahead. By adding Howe's Diesel Treat at every fill-up, you can prevent your diesel fuel from gelling in even the coldest temperatures. While it safely removes water, adds lubricity, and prevents deposits, the nation's number one anti-gel will help protect your engine and provide you with the added power you crave. Backed by the only no-tow guarantee, How's Diesel Treat will keep you rolling no matter what weather comes your way. Learn more at howsproducts.com. How's Tested, trusted, guaranteed. It's Howes. H-O-W-E-S. Howesproducts.com. Here's Gonzalez. It's something different. You know, we were kind of opposed to going the aerodynamic route. This was actually the first aerodynamic uh, truck that we had purchased because... Okay. When my father, like I said, when my father started, he started in a, in a 1983 International Cabover. So he, he was into Cabovers and then he bought an FLD. From the FLD, he just had that one until he bought a 2009 389. He's always been into like the longer hoods. And so this was our first aerodynamic kind of truck. I'm Dominic Gonzalez. I'm uh, the owner's son, which is Antonio with Antonio and Sons Trucking. So we got this truck in 2020. We bought it used. Uh, it's a 2016 Peterbilt 579, 230 wheelbase. In 2021, we put a front air ride kit from Carvalho Air. Ever since then, it's pretty much just a basic truck. You know, we put uh, black headlights to match the color of the truck. And recently, we've just been adding lights here and there because it's a company truck. We 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 can't we don't drive it so. Uh, we kind of just try to keep it looking good for our drivers, you know, so the only thing we, we've really done is, is just the air ride up front. Other than that, um, it was factory three axle, factory wheelbase, uh, it's a 13-speed Cummins. Um, it's actually a 550 uh, horsepower Cummins, so we, it, it's pretty much just a stock work truck, but with the little Antonio and Sons touch, which is the silver and black paint. And, uh, my father's been in business for 23 years. We are a company based out of California. Uh, inside California, we move dry van, flatbed, uh, hoppers, and containers to the Port of Oakland. And um, we we usually just home every day, local work. So we're based out of Fresno. Um, that's that's where my father started and that's where pretty much everything is running through right now um it started with my grandfather my grandfather had a truck um, and my grandfather actually passed away and since my father is the oldest son he got the truck uh he started driving at 18 and he got his second truck around 20 and from there he just started driving with him and his high school buddy 
and from there they just uh, kept driving and in 2003 my father got the opportunity to um, do the loads for uh, an almond uh, hauler and ever since then we've been with that same customer and that customer is usually who asks for all the tra the trailers like dry vans flatbeds and all that so uh, we do have other customers we do do imports we do um, exports for other almond companies as well uh, exporting wise or like general local work is all almonds but when we do imports it could vary from uh, tarps for oranges or tile for houses and things it's like that. It's pretty funny because uh, like I said he started off with his high school best friend and they it was just them two and then uh, 2004-2005 um, my grandpa from my mom's side or my 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 mom's dad yeah. uh became a driver so we went up to three trucks and from there they kept uh it was just them three with a lot of sub haulers okay. and um up until about 2015 is when we started to buy a lot of our trucks and we've yeah. just been buying three or four every year just to keep up with that customer yeah uh, for the almond hauler yeah. so we've been We've been expanding pretty much th just these past six years. We've expanded over 20 trucks. Yeah, yeah. How many are you up to? Yeah. We're up to 28 right now. And you own 28, but you also have uh, owner operators that are working. Yes. Well, in yeah. addition to those 28. Yeah, in addition to the 28. Okay. Uh, how do you guys keep up? <laughs> uh, well, it actually, um, my father, he, he was actually in charge of the dispatching and he would drive at the same time but as time went on and he would he would get um more growers for the season uh he would need more help so my mom actually was uh was a nurse at saint agnes in fresno and then she retired to help my dad we've pretty much just been a family um operated business and and my brother uh also started to help out and and we've just all been slowly but surely helping out. A big thanks to Dominic Gonzalez for his time. Like I said earlier, catch plenty of views of the distinctive Antonio and Sons Silver and Black Custom 579 via overdriveonline.com slash custom hyphen rigs. Find it also at Overdrive's YouTube channel. Now here's Hank Seaton laying out the history of the double brokering scams which reaches all the way back to the early 1980s with his experience testifying before Senate committee around broker abuse. Here's Seaton. I'm Hank Seaton. I've been representing motor carriers since 1973. And so uh, uh, my memory of, of days gone by are sometimes better than the current ones are. But <laughs> uh, uh, one of the issues that I, I want to address today uh, is one that has plagued the motor carrier industry since 1985. In 1985, we had hearings before the U.S. Senate, and I represented a group called the Ad Hoc Committee to End Broker Abuse. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, that committee uh, was organized uh, soon after deregulation to combat a bunch of frauds on the West Coast where people... Uh, were picking up uh, loads, uh, uh, 
committing identity fraud. Folks mm-hmm. weren't getting paid. There was no federal regulation. Well, there were federal regulations that precluded it, but the ICC was still around. The Interstate Commerce Commission, predecessor agency to the FMCSA. They hadn't been done away with complete, completely. Uh, what happened was uh, 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 basically a one-truck operator uh, named Antholz, uh out of Nebraska called the... Uh, uh, senator from Nebraska, who was chairman of the committee and got this committee going. So okay. it, it was uh, Antholz, uh, me, and the ICC there. And the guys at the ICC were asked, uh, uh, well, look, Bob makes the point that this is really a difficult issue. Uh, uh, what are you all doing about it? And the guy from the ICC said, well, you know, we don't really understand there's a problem. We don't get anybody complaining. So that opened the door for me. And I said, well, I think the reason nobody complains is because nobody thinks they'll do anything about it. I've got 45 instances here. So before the day was over, uh, uh, the Senate Commerce Committee directed the ICC to come take a look at, at our books and records. And I'm not sure that the ICC ever got around to doing anything positive to help the trucking uh, industry about dealing with fraud. So now we're, what, uh, close to 45 years downstream? And unfortunately, the problem is no better. It's actually much worse. It's been made worse by uh, actually the Internet, Internet fraud, and the fact that the spot market now creates uh, a mandate that people really do business with folks they don't know and make a decision in terms of handling the goods within 30 minutes. Sign sign an MRIS contract and away you go. Seaton's reference there is actually to RMIS. That's the former Registry Monitoring Insurance Services Carrier Onboarding System. It's now actually truckstop.com's onboarding outsourcing product for brokers, which indeed markets itself for speed, an ability to partially automate the carrier onboarding process. Actually, during the 80s and 90s, up through about 2005, uh, representing small carriers, which has been a specialty of our firm, uh, took the position uh, very uh, fervently that ultimately the shipper was liable for seeing that the carrier got paid. And that basis in the case law that supported that was based upon the notion that carriers were common carriers and that the bill of lading was applicable. Bill of lading was a contract between a shipper and a carrier and the middleman was presumed to be the agent of the shipper. Well, frankly, over the period of time, a lot of that changed because they changed the rules and virtually everything now moves based upon a bilateral contract and a uniform bill of lading is really never used. But as it's been developed, that old case law that says that somehow the shipper can have to pay twice has allowed to a whole bunch of uh, collection agencies who approaches to find some small carrier who's been uh, hoodwinked and say, assign it to us, we'll take 50% of what we collect, and we'll go upstream and hammer somebody until the debt is paid. 
So as a result of this, this problem manifests itself not only in small carriers not getting paid, but the honest broker getting great heat from his customer for the fact that now they got some collection agency wanting $3,000 paid on a load that's been double brokered. Yeah. Double brokered is a term of art that uh, came in um, with the uh, with an act about 10 years ago when they increased the bond to 75000 and it really criminalized, in a way, double brokerage. It said, look, if, uh, uh, if there is unknown double brokerage, i.e. the loads tendered to a carrier, and without knowledge to the party, the carrier turns around and gives it to someone else, there's a private right of action on the part of anybody who is uh, offended to go into federal court and seek recourse. Right. Also, and this is important, there is uh, provisions in the federal statute that says that the government, on behalf of the public, can go after a fraudster and charge him and anybody else involved in the fraud up to $10,000 per violation. Now, uh, armed with that kind of support, if we had an activist agency, uh, we could certainly make some examples of some of these, uh, these scams and police the industry. But uh, the, uh, the FMCSA has uh, no appetite for that. They have a uh, call board where you can report people. I again shared two avenues carriers and brokers can follow to report bad actors just last week. Those avenues are the Department of Transportation Inspector General's whistleblower hotline, as well as the FMCSA's National Consumer Complaint Database. Find a link to that story in the show notes and in the post that houses this podcast for November 4th, 2022. Seaton noted the same lack of responsiveness he saw from the ICC way back in the 1980s, though. He sees today, too. Well, and the thing is, when we have filed FOIA with the FMCSA, we waited as much as a year to get a response. No. So to say that there are any uh, remedies for that uh, is uh, something we need, to, we need to come up with a better solution. Uh, and that solution and what I'd like to talk about today is how to prevent fraud and, and ensure supply chain integrity. Right. And to a, large, uh, to a large extent, there really needs to be self-help and an agreement between brokers, both large and small, and carriers, large and small, that we are not going to follow the sloppy procedures that are in place and we're going to catch and uh, uh, prosecute these things. Yeah. Certainly make the case out of it. Um, I guess one of the things that is frustrating to me is that back when we were doing Activa in 1985, there was a group of people on the West Coast that perfected these frauds the grandson of scamsters are still doing it because <laughs> it seems there's a commonality. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think if you look at it long enough, you'll recognize that it's a, a, a systematic fraud that is repeatedly perpetrated. 
And uh, what ends up happening is, since we've now got 560,000 carriers, it's easy for some guy to uh, obtain authority in Rancho Cucamonga and brokerage authority somewhere else in California and in the process. Yeah, and mm-hmm. or, any, or anywhere else. It could be yeah. all over the globe. But uh, because of sloppy business practices, uh, run up as much as $1.9 million in receivables to carriers, file, file bankruptcy. The carriers, in one case we've got, there were 273 carriers that were built out of their money. They all got maybe 4%. Uh, and... Uh, you know, they're left with big holes in their pocket. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, collection agencies are trying to say, let's go upstream and get the uh, and, get, and get the shippers. So that whole thing is just very disruptive. And, uh, yeah. you know, what, what we have been working on is how do we address the criminal activity? But more importantly, how do we prevent it on the front end? And uh, those are the two things that... Uh, you know, we're trying to develop a coalition of like-minded people to uh, uh, to address it. Uh, it involves sophisticated identity theft, and uh, I think my advice to whoever's listening here is: when you get somebody at the end of the phone who says that I'm a household name broker, and he sends you an email, look at every letter of the email because they can change a domain by adding or subtracting an S. And, you know, some of the major, uh, major reputable carriers in the country are having their stationery stolen so that you think you're you're booking this with a reputable person. But somehow that doesn't occur. And at the presentation, I, I made it nasty. I took three examples of frauds. Uh, in one fraud, two very reputable major uh, broker slash carriers uh, ended up tender, tendering a load to a fraudster who was supposedly a broker. He brokered the loads out to small carriers. The bills of lading at time of pickup did not even show the name of the carrier. Hmm. All of a sudden, they woke up uh, 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 about six, uh, I don't know, maybe three weeks later and realized these loads hadn't been delivered. When they started tracing them, it turned out they were copper wire. And the amount of the scam was over over $2.6 million. And uh, fortunately enough, the parties involved were big enough to eat that. But... uh, as last I've heard, and we're now six months downstream, neither the FBI, the FMCSA, the state police, nobody can find what happened to the copper wire. <laughs> and uh, you know, it, it's humorous if you look at those. If you look at those those particular bills of lading, the logo names. Uh, and, you know, I don't want to hammer on those guys. I mean, they were reputable, but they basically had their name on the bill of lading as the respective carrier. And these were brokers. Well, they were carrier slash brokers. Okay. okay, so, I mean, you know, you couldn't tell from the bill of lading whether it was the carrier or the broker. But whoever was on the dock, 
was uh, having some dude come in and say, I'm here to pick up pro number 1005 going to Hoppick, New York, and they put $250,000 worth of copper wire on the truck. Now, what happens is copper wire leaves El Paso, and the fraudster calls to truck Charlie and says, uh, look, that's been reconsigned. What, what, what do I need to pay you to have you take it to Chicago? So all seven of these loads were reconsigned to an empty warehouse, and that's the last anybody has seen of the problem. So any way, any way you slice or dice that, that's larceny by fraud. Okay? And it's a big ticket. So you can see there how, how the fraudster works, and you can also see that underlying it is the real problem that the carrier who was supposed to pick this up should have been saying, why, why are these logo carriers' names on these bills? Yeah, I'm, I'm, the doing, yeah. I'm the carrier, yeah. and there is a law uh, you don't have to have a bill of lading anymore, but you do have to issue a receipt for the goods. They show the origin, the destination, and the name of the carrier. So I think, and you, you, Todd, you've been this a long time, uh, from what we can see, well over two-thirds, maybe three-quarters of the ship truckload shipments are picked up and delivered without the name of the pickup or delivery carrier. And the guy on the dock doesn't have to worry his pretty little head if the guy's got the right number. Well, the first thing in the supply chain protocol, changing this around, is we're suggesting that brokers and shippers put as part of their contract how the cow's going to eat the cabbage and provide that the bill of lading will reflect the name of the authorized carrier, and that the name of the authorized carrier at time of booking will be transmitted to the consignor, so the consignor knows who to expect. Right, right. And similarly, from a carrier's point of view, if you've once been burned by one of these things, you need to tell your truck driver that he's not Hank Seaton. He's Hank Seaton working uh, for Todd's Trucking, and that when he goes in, if Todd's trucking isn't on the bill of lading, and the bill of lading doesn't say send freight bill to uh, the broker, the he's got to, 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 well, no, I mean, it'll say, it, it, it could say origin consonant or destination somebody else, but ordinarily in a bill of lading, you got a place to say, is it collect or is it prepaid or yeah. is it third party bill to? Yeah. So my advice to the uh, to the conscientious broker is to direct that the bill of lading be made out so that the broker who's contracted with is shown as send freight bill to X who's responsible for payment and that the name of the authorized carrier appear on the bill. Now, you know, this is kind of pitch and catch. Okay, it, it really is kind of a shame that we've got this kind of fraud going on, and it's so simple. Yeah, to, all the tools to, are, all, all, all these things that you're saying are possible to do, like, if people would just do them. And yeah. Do them right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and, you know, you're, 
you're saying, uh, well, first of all, let's look at how much of this stuff could very well involve uh, uh, produce or foodstuffs, which under FISMA have to have a chain of custody. So people start getting sick because ricin's in the rice and the feds come in and they don't even know who was hauling it. And then when you get over into air freight, you've got TSA requirements. So, you know, you, you could have, uh, you could have a terrorist handling, uh, product. So there are a whole lot of really good reasons for this thing not to come back and, uh, uh, and hit you. Uh, and that's, uh, that's the reason that we have been working on what should be best practices. Right. Uh, 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 some of it goes to proper vetting. Now we all know that uh, for for the shipper or the or the or the broker, they're really concerned about vetting the carrier to be sure that he's licensed, authorized, and insured, and has a good safety rating. Right. Because they're really concerned uh, about uh, uh, you know someone who's got a bad safety rating being involved in a wreck, and here comes out yeah. the up supply chain liability. Well, you can see how uh, the failure to ensure that the vetted carrier makes a pickup is an accident going somewhere to be a reptilian. <laughs> you know, if the guy that you vetted, uh, but let's just say that that uh, the guy said that Landstar was coming to get the loan, okay, right. and somebody had had phonied up Landstar's uh, uh, bills. Well, it ain't Landstar that picks it up, right. and whoever it is hits a school bus. Well, then you know that the replications is going to go all the way up the supply chain. Yeah. So at that point, we're not talking about somebody paying a cargo plane for a lousy load of bananas. We're talking about, uh, you know, what could be a $40 million judgment if someone was injured. So th- this uh, security chain issue is a far more important issue than just possible cargo right. or, or, or identity theft. Uh, and so, you know, that's that's one of the reasons that uh, we think the broker and the carrier needs to go uh, a whole lot further to check out the people they're doing business with. Now, uh, in this protocol and in this presentation that I made, uh, I took what was the best practices that I had seen from from shippers and, and brokers uh, to uh, to follow this up. Uh, and one of those practices is, particularly now that we've got all these flaky people calling themselves dispatch services and, and all of that, is if you're being vetted off of a call, uh, uh, if you're vetting a carrier off of a call board. Load board. Uh, yeah, load board. Uh, go to the FMCSA website yeah. and, and, and see what is the address in the area code. And send your uh, copy of anything you're asked to sign to the home office and verify that this guy in the middle is not a scamster. Okay. I think I think that just uh, basically uh, stands uh, to reason as best practices. Uh, other folks uh, uh, do an additional vetting procedure and I think it makes good sense. And that is in the protocol you advise the, the 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 carrier that you're tendering it to 
that his uh, driver will be expected to present credentials satisfactory to the consignor, that he is who he says he is, right. including driver's license. And, uh, you know, if you've got high-value goods, get you a low jack and throw it in the back so you can trace uh, uh, the shipment down the, down the street. Uh, we're working one case uh, in which we've got over two dozen folks uh, that have been uh, scammed by uh, uh, an outfit that if you check the FMCSA website, they show they have uh, only run 60,000 miles, but they're handling freight all over uh, left and right. And when you can't find your freight, they say, well, it's broken down at a truck stop in uh, uh, in Montana. So you Google where the truck stop is and it's the middle of nowhere. I mean, and when the, when the load gets to where it's going, uh, the seal's been broken and resealed. It's obviously been put on the rail and double stacked. Right, right. And so, you know, it's, if it were me, I'd be crying, but looking at it from the outside, it's almost humorous that these people are continuing to do it because then if you dig a little further and you take what's supposedly their home office and drill down in it, it turns out to be a McMansion somewhere in Ohio. Okay, <laughs> go a little further, and you find out that in that McMansion, you got the terminal of three or four trucking companies. Yeah, right, right. So, I mean, you know, it, 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 truth is stranger than fiction when yeah. you start when you start dealing with this. Yeah. And I don't think that there are any statistics that really confirm how 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 awful it is, particularly if you hit. Uh, a small or a medium-sized carrier. What's the cost of doing business for a mega carrier, particularly to your constituents, is uh, uh, is damaging. And I, I yeah. would think that uh, a large number of your smaller carriers uh, are, are are factoring their receivables. So, you know, the factors bought it. Sometimes it's most time it's with recourse. Certainly, if it turns out that it's a, a fake receivable. They're going to ultimately deduct it. Yeah. yeah. So with the inflation that exists, you know, one transcontinental load uh, that uh, the factor has to take a deduction can be upside down for the carrier. Yeah, no doubt. So in any event, uh, among our objectives is to work with people of goodwill to identify some of the most heinous things. Yeah. To try to use self-help and maybe maybe RICO to uh, uh, to create a case. Uh, the problem that we have is it's amazing how many people in our industry, regardless of the amount, will say, "Well, you got a good legal case, but you're never going to collect it. They'll just get lost in the woodwork." Yeah. And. Uh, uh, you know, I was at, I was at a seminar today uh, in which uh, a friend of mine was talking uh, uh, about uh, RICO and fraud on people. This that, is the story. Our, our readers all know this one. This is the uh, uh, Randy. Yeah, Randy Gilliott in the in the Louisiana. Yeah. The Louisiana staged uh, accidents. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, we're really talking about. Uh, major fraud and larceny and yeah. it's it's organized crime right 
you know, it may not be a, a, a Italian somebody got murdered kind of crime, but it is a very sophisticated, yeah. organized, hard to unravel uh, situation. No, I think that's right. Um, you know, what, what do some of these protocols do to, what does it do to deter the, uh, the crooks, I guess. Explain that a little further, because I think we talked a little bit about this. If I if, if I were looking for an opportunity, right, and I got a contract, let's say I'm a newly minted carrier that's planning on double brokering, right. and I get a contract, and attached to it is Appendix B protocol, which says that my name must be on the bill of lading and that the load confirmation sheet to the consignor is going to identify the guy I hired, yeah. then I'm going to say, well, do I really want to pick this dude? Yeah. Because, you know, I, I just can't send in uh, Mr. Nobody without him getting stopped at the gate, and then they're going to, somebody's going to get yeah. aware of the fraud before I get paid. So I think there will be a tendency, uh, the very fact that the broker has the protocol yep. to preclude it. And I know it may be a little disruptive from a small carrier point of view uh, to get to the dock and see somebody else's name and have a dock hand say, well, what's this? And you just say, hey, look, man, uh, we've been hired to haul this load law says my name has to be on it so that you've got chain of custody uh if you all don't acknowledge me as the one that's hauling it we want to get this straight now and uh, you know the other thing for a small carrier to understand and this infuriates brokers and shippers but if you're in the middle of hauling a shipment and all of a sudden you think you're being defrauded under the federal statutes, you've got a right to insist on payment for delivery of that shipment. Hmm. So as a result, in some of these cases where it's gotten out that, uh, you know, East Coast, West Coast scams are in process, I've had clients that said, hey, wait a minute. You know, we certainly are not going to, to pay the guy we hired when we think he's in is a history of scam. You know, we'll, supposed to pay him in 30 days and now now we realize that uh, it was double brokered so uh, if you still got the load on you can you can hold it up and that goes back to old commerce law um, and uh, you know it's it's a possessory lien I don't believe in being confrontational when you and somebody else are both victims but it's just kind of like if you're in the, involved in a, in a crime in process good guys ought to work together. We're seeing some of that today, as I intimated in the story I mentioned earlier from last week. I just, I can't get, uh, I can't get my head around um, how it's not possible to prevent all prevent people with intent to do harm of this nature uh, from having authority to begin with. I've made the I've made the analogy so that 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 the so that the FMCSA is like old mother Hubbard. They got so many applicants they don't know what to do. Yeah. Now, uh, 
you, you know, they, they're probably an underfunded agency. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I guess you could say that the need for more regulation, not less. Mm. But the very fact, the very fact is uh, in a competitive open market, uh, they've got this new carrier audit. Yep. Uh, the new carrier audit, uh, uh, and, and we're an advocate. I'm, I'm an advocate of uh, uh, it being uh, a, we're here to help you, not put you out of business. Yeah. But, you know, somebody ought to connect the dots. Working in part with small carriers in his network, a broker contact of mine who started down the path of attempting to root out as many of these duly authorized carriers and brokers conducting double brokering schemes and skimming money out of the freight transactions in volume, sent me a spreadsheet showing five brokers, all but one of whose authority had been revoked in recent history, and 19 carriers, most still active, who all shared the same principal address, a suite in a shared office building in Memphis where the Regus company markets a quote-unquote virtual office service serving as a mail forwarding location and meeting space for tenants, just as they may need it. It doesn't well look like there's much space around the place for a truck terminal, as it were. A few of the 19 carriers there appeared to be engaged in actually hauling freight, yet most have been set up within just the last year or so. The only broker registered with the business address that remained authorized had only been in business for a year. The reason my broker contact was looking at the location was that it was the business address for the first broker authority he'd identified that had double brokered one of his loads. I'd like to see uh, this raised to the level of attention uh, that uh, uh, if the FMCSA doesn't have the manpower, that uh, uh, the department attorney, uh, attorney general just set up an enforcement group. Inspector general. Yeah. The inspector yeah, general, yeah. I mean, uh, when you look at the other uh, regulated industries, like uh, particularly the Federal Maritime Commission, they're much more they're much more proactive in terms of uh, protecting business practices. Yeah. Okay. Ensuring fair play in business practices. Right. Well, I mean, you know, fraud is hardly fair play. You're right. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, uh, particularly when the national transportation policy says that they're to administer these rules as well as safety rules to ensure open and fair competition, then you think that, uh, you know, you hardly ever want to run to the federal government for an answer for something, but at least cooperation uh, in, in, in RICO and things like that because they can get subpoenas to get bank records that, yeah. you know, a carrier couldn't. Right. So hopefully as this, as this uh, proceeds, uh, uh, it's not going to be a great secret that this isn't a real problem. Yeah. Yeah, to people that are, are listening to the podcast, uh, if, if they're interested in, in, in sharing the scams and the names, mm-hmm. uh, obviously we, the beginning to tie this thing together to find the screen is to look for common addresses, yep. uh, uh, common names, uh, you know, you've got to go through the, the secretary of state to find out if they even, even legal. We've seen some that, uh, I will tell the FMCSA they're incorporated in Pennsylvania. When you yep. track it down, they factored their receivables and the factors in Nevada. Right. 
that's another issue uh, uh, that becomes involved in if you run in a factor, he becomes a secured creditor, thinks he's got rights to the receivables. Uh, in the meantime, the fraudsters have got their money in quick pay. So, you know, they've, they've, uh, they don't have to wait 30 days to run off with the money. Plenty to chew on there, no doubt. Those interested in joining Seton, his mission to elevate the issue, can find him via transportationlaw.net, the website of his Seton Husk firm. And as I noted in that story from last week, if you've been involved in one among any of the flavors of double brokering scams out there, I'd urge you to report them with as much information as you can to the DOT Office of Inspector General and FMCSA. FMCSA Administrator Robin Hutchinson has said quite recently, in response to some of our questions, that the agency is becoming more aware of these issues and does, in fact, want to hear about them if they're happening to you. Let's hold her to it. Find a link to my prior story in the show notes or in the post that houses this podcast for November 4th, 2022 at overdriveonline.com slash overdrive hyphen radio. Overdrive Radio is a production of Overdrive, the voice of the American trucker. It's edited and produced by me, Todd Dills, with the acoustic guitar and other support of trucker songwriter and Overdrive contributor Long Haul Paul Marhofer. The theme is Legend of the Snake Man by Marhofer, featuring the guitar work of Travis, the Snake Man himself, Lemick, Terry Two Socks Richardson on bass, keys by Tishamingo Jim Whitehead, and on drums, Mr. Andrew Marshall. The podcast is backed up further by Overdrive's own news editor Matt Cole, social media coordinator Holly Young, executive editor Alex Lockie, and intrepid video editors Lawson Rudisel and Mr. Andrew Gwynn.